For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Friday as we end our first full week of 2023. Glad to have you on board as always. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Please check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. Fun stuff up there. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast. No dots, no dashes. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Getting a lot of your emails. Thank you so much. I read them all. I see them all. Uh, we have not been doing emails this week because there just has been so much coming at us. But I promise you, we will return to your emails probably next week. So keep them coming. All right. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right. Next week, big shows lined up, including an extensive conversation with one of the biggest whistleblowers on COVID, Fauci, Peter Daszak, the Intel agencies, and the Wuhan lab. Dr. Andrew Huff with his new book, The Truth About Wuhan. We're going to have a blockbuster interview with him coming up next week. Also, in a little bit, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, renowned cardiologist who has been really on the forefront of all of the cardiac events and other negative adverse reactions and effects of the COVID-19 
vaccines. Uh, Dr. McCullough is going to join us in a little bit here as well, not today, but coming up here. Um, And next week, we are also going to focus on another race for the future of the GOP and Saving America, and that's the RNC chair race. Next week, we're going to talk to one of the 168 RNC members who is going to be voting for the new RNC chair. And he's also out of Arizona, so we're going to get a full view of what in Sam Hill has gone on and continues to go on in Arizona. And we're going to get an insider view of the RNC race, which, you know, we're all focused on Kevin McCarthy right now for good reason. But that RNC race is also critically important to draining the swamp. So all of that coming up next week. Today, I want to deal with the ongoing drama over the battle over the speakership. We're going to handle it from a number of different angles and why all of this matters. In fact, nothing matters more than what the 20 brave Republicans are doing. We're going to get into it. Also, today is January 6, 2023 the second anniversary of the insurrection, so happy Insurrection Day, Um, there are still political prisoners being held without due process. Your fellow Americans are still rotting in jail. It's beyond outrageous, and it is shameful, particularly when we're learning more every day about how the feds set it all up to frame not just Donald Trump, but all of us, the America First movement, and to destroy it. We're going to be joined by one of my favorite guests on this show. She is now a friend, I'm happy to say. She's a true warrior for our fellow Americans being held without trial and a warrior for the truth about January 6th. From the start, Julie Kelly. We're going to have an extensive interview with her, and she's going to bring us up to date on everything we know about the Fed-surrection on January 6th. Okay? So you're going to want to sit tight for that. But first, the Monica Memo. It's absolutely delightful not having a sitting Congress. Congress can't swear in new members and begin their work until there's a speaker chosen. No speaker, no sitting Congress. Isn't it the absolute best? No Congress in session wreaking havoc. You know, trying to help us. Wish we could keep it this way forever. Enjoy it while it lasts, because it may not last much longer. I'm doing this show this morning. It's being posted this afternoon on January 6th. We may have a speaker by then and a Congress sworn in in session. But I have to tell you that over the last week, while we've had no Congress, I've had a just a, a lift in my step. Please stop trying to help us. Congress. When you have no sitting Congress, you don't have the headaches of massive omnibus spending bills and all kinds of other damage that they're wreaking on us. So enjoy it while it lasts. Guys, I am sick and tired of hearing that the 20 Republican holdouts on Kevin McCarthy are, quote, holding the country hostage. No, the exact opposite is happening. The 20 Republican holdouts on Kevin McCarthy 
are representing 75 million Americans. We are the ones who have been held hostage by Democrats, never-Trumpers, Republican sellouts, the propaganda press, the intelligence agencies, big tech, the weaponization of our own government, transnational organizations, the international community, and the list goes on forever. We are the ones who have been held hostage by all of them. So these 20 Republican holdouts on McCarthy are representing the 75 million Americans who have been held hostage this whole time. That's who they're representing. The 75 million never had a voice before President Trump. He gave us a voice. He gave us representation. He released us from being held hostage. He gave us a fighter. Now, Trump is off the immediate playing field right now. So the question is, who else is going to take up the fight for us? Not many people stepping up. That's clear. It's really only these 20. So no, they're not holding the country hostage. They're the 300 Spartans going against the 30,000 Persians. They're the 300. And by the way, the Republicans not voting for McCarthy are doing their job. This is what they're supposed to be doing. This is what they were elected to do. Not everyone has to agree all the time. People out there moaning about democracy. This is how actual democracy is supposed to work. Not in lops, not in lockstep, not go along to get along, not business as usual. No, democracy, actual democracy is supposed to be disruptive. That's what the founding fathers gave us, an adversarial system. This is the way it's supposed to be. What we don't want after these last two years is to be sitting around saying, who's going to actually hold people accountable? We've done that forever. The 75 million of us, we're like, well, who's going to fight for us? Then Trump comes along. Yay, we finally have a fighter. And, and now he's set aside. He's running again, but he's not actively on the field right now. So who else is going to do it? Well, the field is pretty thin. You look at the 20 Republican holdouts. That's pretty much it, guys. Forget about the Senate Republicans. They're lost. The 20 in the House These are the people who are actually going to hold people accountable. Many House Republicans were ready to settle in and enjoy control. What they didn't count on or what they didn't see or just didn't care about is the pissed off Republican voters, us, who feel completely dispirited by Senate losses continued election rigging, Mitch McConnell's betrayal, open borders, crime skyrocketing, obscene spending, and the disgusting business as usual. We're really pissed. We're angry and we're frustrated. McCarthy is the target. McCarthy is the target. 
The challenge from these Republicans is absolutely fantastic. I love the chaos. If chaos means disruption of the corrupt status quo, I'm all for it. I say bring more of it. This is a breath of fresh air, guys. So many people out there saying we got to get to work and coronate Kevin McCarthy. But what work? What are you talking about? Let's not be naive here. We have a four-seat majority, and the Democrats control the Senate and the White House. So there's not going to be any significant conservative legislation passed during the next two years, okay? This is actually what's going on now. This is actually a very good use of time. As Congressman Chip Roy noted in his speech nominating Jim Jordan as speaker, What's happening in the speaker election is what should be happening every single day in the House of Representatives. Call it chaos, call it disruption, call it whatever you want. But giving all of us a voice is what these 20 are doing. I want to see it every day. And I want to see this kind of active debate and clash every day. People are like, oh, the clash is really uncomfortable. Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Lauren Boebert. Can't they all get along? They're not elected to get along. That's not what the system is supposed to be. Oh, get along, get stuff done. When was the last time they did anything positive for us? This is why these last couple of days have been a joy, not having a sit-in Congress. When was the last time you saw all 435 members in the House debating over an issue? Pretty much never, right? They're all taking a powder, voting by proxy because of COVID or whatever. When was the last time you saw the entire house there debating over something? Almost never. There's not going to be a unity Democrat speaker that Republicans vote for. Why would Jeffries, the the Democratic leader in the house, why would he allow that? There's been no sign that that's going to happen. This is all just spin to try to freak everybody out. These Congress people are too used to not even having to show up for work. CBS's Robert Costa tweeted uh, earlier this week that some Democrats don't want to hang around and vote as, quote, many of them don't want to be here all day. Oh, poor thing. You're getting your tuchus out of bed every day, five, six days a week. Some people work seven days a week to provide for yourself and your family, but your elected representatives don't want to hang out in the house chamber, which is a beautiful place, by the way, where they're totally pampered and taken care of. Their staff brings them lunch. They'd sit in these beautiful chairs, but they don't want to do that all day. They got their phones. They can be on social media. It's not like they're working in a coal mine. Hundreds of them didn't even show up to vote for that, you know, $1.8 trillion omnibus bill that they passed about two weeks ago. They used the COVID and emergent. They used the COVID emergency as an excuse to vote by proxy. These people, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, they are lazy. They love being members of Congress, but they hate the actual job or the work of it anyway. It's important to keep in mind what sort of congressman Kevin McCarthy has been. Guys, listen up. Kevin McCarthy's top advisor has lobbied for Amazon, Apple, and get this, Pfizer in the last couple of years. 
He was once named one of the tech industry's best friends in Congress. That's really the person that we're going to jump to make our speaker? Really? Let's hit a quick break, and when we come back, I have more on this, including a couple of really important points that you need to keep in mind as all of this unfolds, all right? I'm Monica Crowley. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, guys, welcome back. In a couple of minutes here, we are going to be joined by the great Julie Kelly to talk about the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, She's going to bring us the truth on that. And I've got a couple of comments I want to make about that as well. But getting back to the race for the speakership, there are a ton of people, including people on our side, who are hyperventilating and pearl-clutching over all of this, saying, oh, the GOP looks so disorganized and it's chaos, yada, yada. But this exercise, in fact, shows that the Republican members take their jobs seriously and don't just fall in line like the Democrats do. Now, in many cases, that's the strength. There's no dissent. Nancy Pelosi cracked the whip and they all fell into line. But without debate and dissent, I mean, you just have, you've got nothing. You don't have a democracy. You don't have a robust republic without this kind of a debate and dissent. The clash of ideas is a good thing. This is what the founders intended. So call it chaos or whatever you will, but it is a beautiful thing. They're all just worried, the people who are making these uh, criticisms, they're just all worried about themselves. Because, oh, no's. Chaos for K Street. Stopping Kevin McCarthy, which may or may not be successful by the time this program comes to air this afternoon, but stopping him or the attempt to stop McCarthy is a total disruptive move in a great and necessary way. This is a complete disruption of long-term planning by the GOPE. 
the establishment, and K Street, which is the center of lobbying. So much of this, the bulk of this, is about spending. Business as usual for decades has meant trillions of dollars that we can't afford and don't have out the door. Most of it on waste, fraud, nonsense like shrimps on a treadmill, and payoffs. This country is now over $31 trillion in debt. And that's because we have not had GOP leadership willing to stop the out-of-control spending train wreck. Weak, big-spending leaders like Kevin McCarthy, who hasn't led a fight over spending maybe ever. So, yes, this is about the debt ceiling. This is about obscene spending. It's about putting a stop to it before our country collapses for good under the crushing weight of generational spending. It's about other things too. And they're getting concessions from McCarthy on uh, committee ships, on the rules package, which they're all going to have to vote for. And they're saying McCarthy is now so desperate for this job that he's signing on to all of it. So it will be in writing, it will be public, and they're all going to have to vote on this rules package. So he's agreeing to apparently a, a lot to change the way things are done. A vote on balanced budget. And again, a vote on term limits. Again, we don't control the Senate, so they'll pass it in the House. It will die in the Senate. If by some miracle it makes it through the Senate, Biden will kill it. This is not about getting this stuff into law right now. It is about messaging. But so what? The messaging is critical. Again, to the 75 million of us who have been held hostage to all of this nonsense for decades. It's about smashing the whole corrupt status quo. That's what they're doing here. So there have been a whole series of procedural concessions that McCarthy has made, like all it takes is one to one person in the House to stand up to say, I want to vacate the chair, meaning we got to call a vote on a new speaker. He's agreed to that. He's agreed to putting these conservatives on the rules committee so we can actually steer how things are done. All of this is absolutely critical. Um, and, and I hope that there's a whole array of things like a new January 6th committee, keeping that going. We'll talk to Julie Kelly in a moment about that. I hope there are a whole array of things that we're not hearing about. Um, And I want to get to one of those big ones in a second here. But he's agreeing to a whole bunch because he's so just drooling for this job. So all of this is to the good if he ends up with this job. But the bigger point is, thank God, somebody is standing up to the endless destructive cycle of higher taxes, obscene spending, and suffocating debt. These Republicans are heroes. Don't listen to the naysayers, especially on our side, saying, oh, they're, they're terrorists. They're holding the whole country hostage. No, these people are straight up heroes, taking a lot of incoming, including from their own side. They are straight up heroes. Guys, remember the Tea Party moment in 2009 and 2010? People forget that that began as a movement of outrage over government spending. And yes, Obamacare, socialized medicine was a big part of that. 
But the main motivation of the Tea Party was out-of-control spending. That was 12 years ago. And we're in a worse place now because of weak leaders like McCarthy who don't have the stones to stand up to it. The left and the propaganda press smeared and attacked us as racist and bigots because we opposed big government and insane spending. And our weak leaders just let those attacks go unanswered. That is unforgivable. And these 20 Republicans now have the guts to stand up to the enormous pressure and say no more. We should be celebrating them. Celebrating them. There's something else too. Our good friend Frank Gaffney suggested yesterday that there's something else afoot here, or maybe afoot. He wrote, quote, why has Kevin McCarthy not withdrawn from the House Speaker's race after, and this was yesterday, after six, he's now up, (laughs) way past six, six failed attempts to win the post? It may have less to do with his notorious lust for power than self-preservation. Under present circumstances, a Republican House is basically reduced to conducting investigations. McCarthy's choice to perform oversight on China, uh, Representative Mike Gallagher, says he intends to examine U.S. underwriting of the Chinese Communist Party. The trouble, Frank says, is that Kevin McCarthy has long worked with Sequoia Capital, a firm that has invested heavily in and for China. The botched Benghazi investigation illustrates how a speaker like McCarthy's mentor, Paul Ryan, can neuter an inquiry. Ditto the failure of McCarthy's own China task force to examine financial firms like BlackRock and Sequoia's enabling of our enemy. Frank says we need a speaker who will root out the CCP's elite capture, not exemplify it. Wow, this is an excellent point, okay? Is Kevin McCarthy compromised by conflicts of interest with the CCP? McConnell is. Is Kevin McCarthy? Frank's point is a really important one, and this is why I hope when when these GOP holdouts are getting concessions that they also demand publicly now that McCarthy not interfere with any such investigations into China, period. So when you get down to it, it's really a question of trust, right? Can Kevin McCarthy be trusted? Here's Matt Gates. I think this ends one of two ways, Trace. Either Kevin bows out, realizing there's no path for him to become Speaker of the House, even if he picks up one or two or three or five of the 20 who have opposed him half a dozen times on the floor, or he essentially has to wake up, bring the House into session, and put on a straitjacket with a rules package that we've presented to him that doesn't allow a lot of discretion for the Speaker of the House. The reason we've demanded that is that we do not trust Kevin McCarthy. Without trust in the leader, guys, there's nothing. That's the truth. And that's the reason for this battle. But the regime doesn't like disruption. And this is a big public disruption. Good. Good. So, cheers to the 300 Spartans. There are only 20 of them, but they're just as fierce as the 300 
and we should all be supporting them. When we come back, we're going to talk to the great Julie Kelly about the January 6th insurrection anniversary happening today, and we're going to expose the truth about what we now know was a Fed-surrection. Sit tight. Well, on this insurrection day of January 6th, two years later, I am honored and delighted to have with me once again a fierce and fearless warrior for the truth and for justice, which is pretty rare in America today. Julie Kelly is a senior writer at American Greatness, and you should be reading her stuff all day, every day at that website. It's AM for American, AM Greatness. Dot com. If you're not already reading Julie Kelly there every day, you got to fix that immediately. Julie has also been and continues to be a righteous and relentless, tireless warrior on behalf of the January 6th political prisoners, the vast majority of whom did nothing wrong or committed very minor infractions and have been left to rot in prison for two years now many without due process or given lengthy prison sentences that are just, these are crimes against the Constitution and humanity. And I cannot believe that we are allowing this stuff to happen in America in the 21st century. There has been one person over the last two years who have stood up and said no to this, who saw it clearly from the beginning and championed their cause even when she was standing alone and it was very unpopular to do so. And that is my friend, Julie Kelly. Welcome back, Julie. We love you. Wow, Monica, you are my new best friend. What an introduction. (laughs) Overly kind and really generous. Thank you. Well, Julie, as Kissinger used to say in different contexts, it has the added virtue of being true. (laughs) So uh, we love you. We admire you. We respect you. We honor you. And uh, Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year and Happy Insurrection Day. I can't believe it's been two years. I mean, can you believe it? I, I, I mean, you have been leading this fight for two years. So I, I'm very curious to know how this anniversary feels to you. It's, um, Monica, it's a little surreal. I mean, uh, that it's been two years. It, it, I guess it doesn't feel like that. Um, but I will say one thing I would tell J6ers when I talked to them early on, um, and, and I'm not bragging, but but they really had nowhere to go, right? They were abandoned by family, friends. The media was trying to destroy them. The DOJ was trying to destroy them. So when I would talk to them, I would tell them, look, the truth about what happened that day is going to come out. It, it, it might take a while, but the truth about what happened will be exposed. And I would compare it to Russiagate. But I would tell them, I don't think it's going to be as long as it took for us to get to the truth of Russiagate, because that really was five or six years. And here we are two years later, Monica, and I really feel like the script is flipping. The American people are now more wary about, did what I watched on January 6th, was that really what happened? Or was this an orchestrated event to finally destroy Donald Trump and his movement? Because people are identifying, are now acknowledging 
how deeply corrupt these agencies are, especially the FBI. And I think that, you know, here two years later, uh, there's deep suspicion that what Americans think that they saw that day wasn't really uh, reality. Yes. And I want to get into that, uh, certainly, Julie, because Look, I was in the administration that day. I was serving at Treasury. Treasury is the building right next door to the White House, right above the ellipse. And when I looked out my office window and I saw hundreds of thousands of people, what I saw were grandmas from Indiana, okay, who absolutely love this country and love and respected the president who finally gave them a voice. I mean, I, I just did a whole monologue on the speakership battle. Um, you know, these 20 Republicans are the ones now, now that President Trump is off the playing field, at least for the time being, these 20 Republicans are the ones giving us our voice. Thank God we have them, okay? But That's during right. that period of time, President Trump was the one. And I keep saying this over and over again, Julie, it is... This is why January 6th happened, because Donald Trump spent five years taking all manner of attack from the Russia hoax to two fake impeachments to slings and arrows all day long, every day from every direction for us. And so when January 6th came around and, and the election was obviously rigged, the American people stood up and said, now it's time for us to fight for him. And so they went to Washington in order to do that, Julie. And now we know that the feds were in the mix to try to instigate and create a crisis to do exactly like you say, which is try to finally eliminate Donald Trump because everything else they threw at him did not work. So let, and you're exactly right. So let's go through for people who are listening who might still be skeptical as to the potential FBI or other federal agencies' roles. We now know, Monica, because of these trials that are going on, that the FBI had informants in the two main quote-unquote militia groups, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, months before January 6th. So we know that they had assets in these groups. Look no further than the Whitmer Fednapping hoax, where they put together at least 12 uh, informants working with numerous FBI supervising agents out of multiple field offices, also working with at least three undercover agents who concocted this ridiculous scheme, caper, that made it look like militiamen, right-wing militiamen loyal to Donald Trump tried to kidnap and kill Gretchen Whitmer before the 2020 election. The guy who was in charge of the Michigan FBI field office at the time, who oversaw the main informant, the undercover agents, and some of these handling agents, is a man named Stephen D'Antuano. In October of 2020, Week, just several, two months before January 6th, Steve, Christopher Ray, FBI director, promoted Stephen D'Antuano for a job well done, right? Put him in charge of the Washington, D.C. FBI field office. Mm -hmm. This was the office. And now we know from transcripts, we know from interviews conducted by the January 6th committee and other sources that Stephen D'Antuano's Washington, D.C. FBI field office was the hub of activity, of intelligence, of uh, the deployment of agents, and of course, undercover agents. They, he was collecting whatever was coming into the FBI related to January 6th. 
This is the same guy who managed the Whitmer fednapping hoax. He's also the same guy who two years later could not find the alleged pipe bomber. When FBI officials are confronted by Republican lawmakers to explain the FBI's role in January 6th, they refuse to answer. I will tell you, one of the most compelling scenes that I saw this, I'm sorry, last year, was an exchange between Republican Representative Clay Higgins and FBI Director Christopher Wray. Clay Higgins asked Ray twice, did you have FBI informants disguised as Trump supporters inside the building before the breach on January 6th? Christopher Ray would not answer the question. And Clay Higgins shot back, it should be a no. You should say no. You shouldn't hide behind, I'm not going to discuss investigative techniques, you know, their old excuse, Monica. Right. He should have said no, Representative Higgins, that's that's absurd. Of course, the FBI didn't have informants with MAGA hats and Trump flags inside the building before it was breached. So they will not give a straight answer. And I'll tell you what, Monica, it's something I have been flagging and waiting for is to see whether the January 6th Select Committee interviewed either Christopher Ray or Stephen D'Antuano. And we now know that the report has been released. Christopher Ray's name is not mentioned once. Mm-hmm. In 845 pages, neither Stephen D'Antuano's, which tells me that committee investigators didn't interview them. They didn't want to interview them because they did not want to be confronted or the risk of being confronted about the FBI's role, failures that day, or what exactly they did in months leading up to January 6th. I mean, it just boggles the mind. Again, here we are in the 21st century in the United States of America, supposedly the beacon of freedom and accountability and transparent uh, representative government. And the biggest threat we face is the weaponization of our own government against us. And it's one thing if you're talking about, you know, the EPA weaponized against us, which they are. But when you're talking about the most fearsome law enforcement agencies on the planet, the DOJ and the FBI, turning the entire force of the United States government against average Americans exercising their First Amendment rights on January 6, 2021. The fact that the FBI infiltrated this group, had informants, had instigators, and we'll get to Ray Epps in a second, in the crowd instigating this, And then we'll get to Capitol Police here in a second, Nancy Pelosi. But the idea, I mean, the fact that this isn't the biggest story in the world is outrageous. And that tells me that the propaganda press was working hand in glove along with what we now know, big tech, thanks to Elon Musk. We know that Twitter was deeply in bed with the FBI, DHS, uh, 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 DOJ, and so on, on all of these issues, including January 6th, because Donald Trump tweeted, I think it was twice, uh, early on January 6th, saying peaceful protests, go home, uh, sending out all of these warnings, etc. and Twitter uh, eliminated those tweets so that we couldn't see them until just recently, right? So all of this was a giant conspiracy. They talk about the January 6th defendants as a conspiracy to attack the Capitol. The actual conspiracy and collusion was on the other side, our own government. That's right. 
And of course, that's always been the case. You know, the, the uh, Robert Mueller, uh, you know, Russia collusion hoax was concocted and fabricated to cover up the real crime, which was the FBI investigating a presidential candidate and then a sitting president. So that was the diversion. Of course, the Ukrainian impeachment over the call with Zelensky uh, was to cover up the Biden crime family. And now we have the January 6th Select Committee and another special counsel, Jack Smith, uh, to cover up exactly what happened on uh, January 6th to set up Trump supporters uh, to provoke violence. You have questions about law enforcement, not questions. We have video. We have evidence of what law enforcement uh, officers did that day. D.C. Metro Police and Capitol Police officers uh, attacking the crowd outside with tear gas, with pepper balls, with sting balls, with rubber bullets in them, beating them, pushing them, torment. I mean, uh, attacking people outside the building, Monica, people who were not doing anything. And I've talked to a lot of J6ers who went to Trump's speech, and as they walked towards the ellipse, they were seeing all of this tear gas. They were seeing people on the ground. They were seeing people trying, crying, trying to get tear gas out of their eyes. Uh, you have uh, police who used flashbangs. Now, that's a device that's not supposed to be thrown into a crowd of people just standing there. This is a very dangerous munition that probably caused fatal heart attacks in two men, Kevin Greeson and Benjamin Phillips, after police threw these devices into the crowd. Because what it does is sets off a huge bang explosion and a shock and a light that temporarily disables people. Um, and this was very traumatic to a lot of people, especially veterans. And so there was no investigation into excessive force by police, certainly not by the January 6th committee, who instead heralded these two departments as heroes, as victims of January 6th. Now, certainly, uh, I think that Capitol Police, several officers were sort of, these people really were left hung out to dry by their own leadership. But you had other officers, obviously Michael Byrd, who still is on the job, uh, the officer who shot and uh, killed Ashley Babbitt at nearly point blank range. Uh, they pretended they did an investigation into him, but he's not. He's still on the job. So these are just sort of some of the angles that I think now sitting here two years later, um, people are are starting to to you know ask questions in their own mind. Well, how come none of this was really legitimately investigated? Why don't we have answers to some of these questions? Um, and so this is this will be a task for Republican leadership to the degree that they're up for it. All right, Julie, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. A lot more to get to with you on this Fed surrection, including the role of one Ray Epps and other Fed informants who were throughout the crowd that day instigating the violence. More with Julie Kelly on the other side. Julie, talk to us a little bit or give us an update on Ray Epps. Remind us of who he is, what he was doing on both January 5th and January 6th, and what we just learned from the J6 committee and his deposition. 
So Ray Epps, as I'm, I'm sure your astute <laughs> listeners know, is the tall man in the red MAGA hat who is seen on video numerous occasions imploring people to go inside the Capitol. He does this on January 5th uh, to a group of Trump supporters and throughout the day on January 6th. He somehow not only remains uncharged now two years later, but oddly was defended by the January 6th committee and the media. So what was sort of um, odd to a lot of us is everyone who was involved in January 6th, every Trump supporter was an insurrectionist, a domestic terrorist, a traitor, except for Ray Epps, who the committee, including Adam Kinzinger, immediately leapt to his defense, like leave Ray Epps alone. So they interviewed Ray Epps, his transcript, the transcript of his interview was just released. Um, It was, it, it, it's, it also is sort of strange um, how Adam Kinzinger sort of acts as his defense attorney, asking these leading questions to sort of allow Ray Epps to ex, uh, express his innocence. But what I found interesting, Monica, is that Ray Epps admitted he was on restricted grounds for at least an hour on January 6th. Not only was he at the initial physical breach of the exterior barriers of the Capitol grounds, he whispered in the ear of the man, Ryan Samsell, who first breached the uh, bike racks on the west side of the Capitol and ran up to the Capitol. He whispered in Ray, in Ryan Samsell's ear, Ray Epps, we don't know what Epps said, and they don't even ask him what he says to Ryan Samsell. But what was interesting is two things. Ray Epps was on restricted grounds for over an hour. This is an offense for which uh, several people face criminal charges. He also sent a text to his family later saying how he orchestrated what happened. Texts like that, Monica, are repeatedly used as evidence in criminal cases against January 6th defendants. So you have a very clear case of a major discrepancy between someone who still is not faced any criminal charges defended by the J6 propagandists um, with clear evidence of, of what is considered criminal behavior in other cases. So um, I, I'm sure that there are Republican lawmakers like Tom, Tom Massey, Representative Massey, who uh, confronted Merrick Garland about Ray Epps, and they are still going to try to get his records, Ray Epps's records, and find out exactly uh, what his involvement, who he was there representing that day, because his explanation just really did not make a lot of sense. And he's the only one who hasn't been charged. He's uh, the, like the only one on camera instigating this over so there, two days. Honestly, honestly, Monica, there are a lot of people on camera who have not been charged. There are several people wearing neon orange hats, and I've written about this, um, wearing neon hats who are accompanying the Proud Boys, uh, who are on also restricted capital grounds, who also are not charged. They're not identified. Uh, the group, such as sedition hunters, who are helping the FBI identify people who committed crimes that day, they've completely avoided this group of men and women wearing orange neon hats, caps, with hats underneath and earpieces, with the Proud Boys, running with the Proud Boys into restricted grounds. We still don't know who those people are. There are numerous instigators outside of the Columbus doors, which one attorney for the Oath Keepers has identified nearly 80 instigators 
outside the Columbus doors that were magically opened from the inside who also are not charged. So to your point, I think rate apps for a lot of people is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Um, but there are lawyers and other uh, journalists have, have uh, cited other instigators who also have not been charged. So obviously this was a giant Fed setup um, for, to, to target Donald Trump. But unfortunately, our fellow Americans have been caught up in the crossfire simply because they wanted to exercise their First Amendment rights. And again, I'm not talking about the people who actually did engage in violence, separate and distinct from the feds who are involved in this. But it, the, the whole thing was a giant frame up. And I, I want you, Julie, if you would, to please bring us up to date on what we now know about Pelosi's office. Her office was in charge, along with Schumer, but she was the primary contact for Capitol Hill Police, National Guard, all of the requests that came from President Trump, the White House, and others about increasing and enhancing security for those two days, particularly January 6th, repeatedly turning down request after request for additional security. What do we now know about that? Monica, I have a piece up and I'm so glad you brought this up. I have a piece in American Greatness and Greatness.com that talks about the question is, what did Nancy Pelosi know and when did she know it? Mm -hmm. um, again, we have testimony from one of her chief security officials, Jamie Fleet, who is a shared staffer between Nancy Pelosi and the House Administrative Committee, who told January 6th committee investigators that the planning for January 6th started in the summer of 2020. This also has been confirmed by others who testified before the behind closed doors, as you'll note, Monica. This was not made public. These were not people who were involved in the televised performances. Um, this is now you have to do your own digging. We all, I also know because uh, House Republicans, Jim Jordan, Jim Banks, and a few others released their own report. They obtained the records of Paul Irving, who is Nancy Pelosi's, was her House Sergeant at Arms. Now, the people responsible for securing the Capitol are the House Sergeant at Arms, Paul Irving, who worked for Nancy Pelosi, and Michael Stenger who is the Senate Sergeant at Arms, who worked for Mitch McConnell. Those two men were responsible for securing the Capitol. They repeatedly denied requests by U.S. Capitol Police Chief at the time, Stephen Sund, for more National Guardsmen. What House Republicans just revealed from Paul Irving's records is a contrary to the narrative, Monica, for weeks, Nancy Pelosi's top security chiefs, her chief of staff, and other Democrats were quote unquote preparing for January 6th. What I found most shocking in this report by House Republicans, and I talk about it in my piece, is that Paul Irving conducted at least three walkthroughs of the joint session only with Democrats, did not include any Republicans. This happened on January 4th and January 5th. Most shocking to me, Monica, was that Paul Irving conducted a walkthrough of the House evacuation plan on January 5th with mm. only Democrats. And Monica, wouldn't you know it, 24 hours later, almost to the minute, the House is being evacuated because of the events of January 6th. That's why we need to see the video. And now we don't just need to see the video of January 6th, we need to see it of January 5th. 
Who was doing these walkthroughs? Why were they doing it? If they were completely caught off guard on January 6th and Donald Trump incited this insurrection because of his speech, why were they doing all these walkthroughs, including the evacuation plan? So um, this just flies in the face of the narrative that we've been told. This capital was left intentionally unsecure by the people who were responsible for it. Nancy Pelosi had a 50-minute phone call with Paul Irving on the morning of January 6th. What were they talking about? We'll never know. The House Committee Select Committee made it very clear that Nancy Pelosi's office was off limits. We have not seen a single email, record, correspondence, document from Nancy Pelosi's office. The lawmaker, the leader, primarily responsible for capital security. So but now we can dig into these transcripts and other reports that show, mm, no, they really all were working for weeks before, now months before. Well, what exactly were they doing? You know, the communications between the DOJ and FBI and Pelosi's office would be really interesting. Wouldn't, wouldn't they? they, Julie? I mean, and... and and as you say, it's such an important point that you just laid out for us, which is that the planning for January 6th began in the summer of 2020, prior to the election, which they knew they were going to rig, and in the middle of all of the other violence that they were instigating, Antifa, BLM, burning down the country, burning down our cities. They were engaged in all of that. So of course they were taking that template and they were like, well, we're gonna rig the election. So of course Trump is gonna react and we're gonna be ready for that. Um, maybe they didn't know it was gonna be January 6th. Maybe they did, but they were certainly having the plans laid in place. This is a giant conspiracy of our own government. It is mind boggling. And the fact that you and, and a handful of others, and that's it, showing any kind of curiosity on this to uncover th the truth is beyond belief, Julie. Monica, I've said not just that, you know, uh, to the January 6ers, the truth will be told. I've also said the American people and our own Republican leaders are not prepared to fully grasp exactly what the government and other actors did on January 6th. This will be the biggest, this will make Russiagate look like a kindergarten play. I've said this for over a year. And as you said, for a long time, I was called a conspiracy theorist, a kook, a nut, a crazy person, a defender of traitors and insurrectionists. But now we've got, we have testimony from the officials who were involved and they are tipping their own hand as to what was going on behind the scenes months before. Let's just lay this out quickly for your listeners. The FBI had informants in the major groups months before that. DHS, DOD, Department of Justice, which was the lead agency on January 6th, had numerous phone calls and meetings before January 6th. What were they talking about? We don't know. Uh, Acting Attorney General Jeff Rosen ordered elite FBI forces to Quantico the weekend before January 6th. What were they doing? We were told they were deployed later on January 6th to help secure the Capitol. We later find out that they were deployed to the city early that morning. ATF, hostage rescue team, uh, elite FBI commandos with shoot to kill authority. This was all reported by Newsweek. We haven't found out any of those details. We also know Capitol Police Intelligence Chief had intelligence that showed that there was going to be a threat. They withheld that. 
You have a whistleblower from the Department of Homeland Security saying that he found plans to attack the Capitol online, and he alerted his superiors about that. That information went nowhere. Now, were those plans really Trump supporters, Monica? Of course not. Or were they leftist activists and rioters who had been attacking Washington events, Trump supporters, for the better part of six months in 2020? So the idea that everyone was caught flat-footed, no one was predicting anything was happening. No one was planning to put provocateurs on the ground January 5th and January 6th. We now have solid evidence that none, that none of that's true. So um, House Republicans need to continue this investigation um, and they need to demand these records from Nancy Pelosi, from Mitch McConnell, Capitol Police, DHS, DOD, DOJ, DC Metro Police, the DC Mayor's Office, I, there's a whole list. They need to uncover the communications, the planning before January 6th because we have innocent people whose lives are being destroyed Yes. By this uh, this staged insurrection. Yes, and it's non-negotiable for the new Republican Congress. You know, two points before we get to the GOP Congress and, and what you anticipate there. Number one, Nancy Pelosi had her daughter, Alexandra, who is a documentarian, uh, documentary filmmaker, shooting footage that day. And Nancy Pelosi is fully made up. Uh, jewelry, hair done, the whole thing. And she's like, I mean, she's the worst actress of all time. And she's like, oh, no, the Capitol is being stormed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, it's so obvious that all of this was planned and she was fully prepared uh, for the Fed insurrection um, or Fed surrection. And also, you know, your point about the Republicans is so clear and it, it is, it's even more disturbing than the Democrats or what the feds are doing, which is, you know, the Republicans are supposed to be the opposition. They're supposed to be the ones fighting for us and pushing back on all of this. And yet Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, you can hear a pin drop in the Republican caucus. They have not raised their voices. Um, on behalf of the January 6th political prisoners. You've had a couple like Louis Gohmert, who's gone in there, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, into the prisons to talk to them and try to champion their cause, but very, very few. So the question remains, what did they know? Certainly the leadership. What did McCarthy know? What did McConnell know? You're raising very important questions about that. That is more unforgivable than Nancy Pelosi posing for her daughter and the cameras that day. Because the Republicans, if they knew and they did not raise a finger to stop this, that is unconscionable and unforgivable. Well, look, there's a lot of questions about Mitch McConnell's uh, involvement in this, too. I had a whole article about this, Monica, last year. You know, he told a reporter in the wee hours of January 7th that he found the whole event exhilarating. He begged Senate Republicans who were planning to work with House Republicans to object to the certification of electoral votes in six contested states. What was going to happen that day, Monica, was not the certification of the Electoral College. It was going to be hours of Republicans explaining to the American people the voting fraud in at least six states. This could have gone on for 12 hours. Mitch McConnell threatened Senate Republicans not to do that. He gave a speech on January 6th, right before the 
the quote unquote insurrection happened, that this would be a dark day for democracy. Joe Biden is the legitimately elected president. We need to move on. No one wanted January 6th not to happen. The dispute or the airing of the voting fraud in these states, more than Mitch McConnell, why was his sergeant at arms so complicit in keeping the Capitol building and grounds unsecure. So they need to look at his role as well. Yes. What's even more galling than what you're talking about, Monica, is 18 Senate Republicans who just gave the Department of Justice a 3.5 billion, that's a B, billion dollar raise. Yes. Bringing their annual budget to nearly $40 billion, which includes a $570 million raise for the FBI. That is unconscionable. They are feeding the wolves that are now eating their own herd. That is disgusting. And every Republican senator, of course, several of them were lame ducks at the time, but others like Tom Cotton, Lindsey Graham, those who voted for that, they need to be primaried and removed from office. Yes. I mean, we have been calling for defunding the FBI, Julie, and raising it to the ground and beginning again. And you've got those 18 Senate Republicans, like you mentioned, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, all these disgusting people, not not only not defunding them, but giving them a raise to, to bolster their weaponization against us. It is completely outrageous. It, this is a theme I've been on on this show for a long time, that I, you know the Democrat communists are gonna behave the way they do, but at least they tell you who they are, what they believe and what they're doing. The GOP talks a good line about limited government, accountability, fiscal responsibility, all this other crap that they throw at us to get reelected and they do the exact opposite and they are in cahoots, they're in conspiracy with the Democrat communists to destroy the country. It is uh, unconscionable. Um, Final question for you or so, um, Julie, do you think, once we get a speaker, do you think that the GOP-led House is going to keep the January 6th committee going in a new iteration so we can really air out the truth here? Um, I have my serious doubts, but I also have hope whether it's done as a separate January 6th committee or it's given to say House Oversight, House Judiciary, um, you know, people who will really do some of the heavy lifting. I know that there are lawmakers, because I've heard from them, uh, who are increasingly alarmed at what they're learning about January 6th. Um, will they have the guts to really confront this? Uh, I, I, I don't know, but they really have to. So. I personally would love to see a separate January 6th committee, um, but I, I just don't know that uh, there's the fortitude there to do it. I'm hopeful that it will be put into a, another committee with people who will do, do the work and will have the courage to expose to the American people what this government did on January 6th. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's part of these negotiations with McCarthy that uh, he commits to keeping this committee going, at least in some form, so we can air this out. You wrote a book called January 6th. Everybody needs to go get it and get it now on Amazon, wherever you get your books and read it to understand the first chapter of the truth. And Julie, you should do a second book. You need to do a follow-up or, or maybe wait a little while until we get more of the facts and the truth, but you, you need to do it because we need a record of the truth from someone like you who has been on this from the very beginning. 
Well, Monica, thank you so much. And uh, I'm so grateful for your friendship, uh, for covering this issue in my work and for getting this, uh, this crucial information to your uh, fans and your listeners. Well, you're a true heroine. We're talking to Julie Kelly. And Julie, you know, you're not just a heroine to the January 6th defendants, but to all of us who love this country and the rule of law. So thank you for your relentless fight for justice and the truth and for joining us again today. You were the only guest that I wanted here on this January 6th Insurrection <laughs> Day anniversary. So thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Always a pleasure. Julie Kelly, read her at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, and follow her on social media at Julie underscore Kelly too. If you're not reading her stuff, you're missing out. So please go there, check her out, get her book. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Happy Fedsurrection Day. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I'm going to see you right back here on Monday with another really huge week of shows, including Dr. Andrew Huff with the truth about Wuhan. And we're going to talk about the RNC race, which is another race coming up here right around the bend, critically important. So much more coming up next week. So have a restful weekend. Enjoy the football. And I will see you right back here on Monday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.